0: You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. In today's message, we continue with week two of our home series as we explore the mission of the church and how that mission is distinctively expressed at Broadmoor. As we listen in, we pray that God would speak to and challenge us so that we can know him more fully. Well, good morning, church. How are we? If you have your copy of God's Word, would you open to Luke chapter 14? Luke 14 is our passage today, starting in verse 25. Uh, if you are in our children's ministry and you are reading in your brand new Following Jesus Bible, you are on page 1,123. Uh, so we would love for you to turn there. Uh, and if you were here today and say, Josh, what page number is it for, for, for me? Uh, I, I don't know, um, but if you are in this $25 Bible, uh, you are on page 977. So uh, if, if you still need help, table of contents is always key. All right. As we jump in, we are in week two of our home series. This is, this is the time of year, August every year since I've been here. Uh, we have paused from, from our typical book-by-book uh, book and verse-by-verse verse preaching schedule to, to, to take a look at, at who we are to remind ourselves about our mission as Broadmoor Baptist Church, to, to understand who God has called us to be, what God has called us to do, and, and what we believe it's going to take to actually accomplish the mission that's been trusted to us. Uh, and so it's going to be twofold today, all right? So, And this whole series is, is sort of twofold. Here's, here's how it would work. If you are a part of membership here, like, like if you've said, this is, this is home for me, this is where I'm going to be, this is going to serve as a reminder to you This is going to be an opportunity for you to to not only hear this again, but to to commit to it yet again. To say, I know that God has trusted this faith family to me and me to them, and I know that he's given us this mission, therefore we will be committed and focused to see it fulfilled. But maybe you're here as a guest and you are just sorting this this thing out. Maybe you're a believer. Maybe you're looking for a a church home, a family of faith to to con connect yourself to, to trust your family to, and I I pray that through this series, you may may see that this would be the place to call home for you. Maybe not, and that would be okay as well, but maybe you're here today, and you're just trying to sort out what faith is. You know that you live in a very religious place, yet your heart seems to not be changed, and maybe nobody else in the whole world knows that except you. And so you're trying to sort out, what, it, what is this thing called faith? What, what is this relationship with God? How, how does one come into a relationship with God? I pray it's through this series as well that you will, you will hear the truth behind that and to hear the grace that is extended to you. And hopefully today, today will be one of those hopefully mile marker days for the believer and the non-believer alike. That wherever you stand on either side of the cross, that we all stand in awe of the one on the cross. So with that being said, we are going to to jump in to to our our text today and and understand that that this week is about our values. Uh, At Broadmoor, we we have six values that kind of guide our mission. If if our mission statement is we are a united family of faith, joining Jesus in his mission— for the glory of God and the good of our communities, then there are six things that are going to be, uh, we, we explain it sometimes like riverbanks that are, that are guiding this, this very powerful river in the right direction. Here are those, those values. I just wanna simply read them to you today, okay? So you don't go to your Bible yet. We're, we're not quite there, but we're gonna be in Luke chapter 14, all right? First value that we run behind here at Broadmoor is that we will always submit to the word of God as the authority of our life. Second value, we will pursue reconciliation. Third, we will equip disciple makers. Fourth, we will run to the hurting. Fifth, we will cultivate healthy relationships. And the sixth one, we will live generously. Now, here's what we know, and this is not just true about six values at Broadmoor for the mission. This is true about life. Whatever you value most is going to drive your values. Whatever it is that's supreme in your life will be the very engine that is going to propel the things that you say and do. So for example, and the reason we bring this up today, we could stand behind these six and stand here on a Sunday morning and all be in agreement and say yes and amen to all of these things, but give ourselves six hours after the service is over and we begin to get a little fuzzy on what these things say. We, we begin to, to, to lose sight, not necessarily because we don't see them. It's not because they're not in front of us. It's because there's something inside of us that begins to shift. Something while we're in this room, something while we're in life group, something while we're connected to each other, we find strength. But the moment we leave this sacred place, The moment we leave those sacred moments with others and with the Lord, these things begin to become a little fuzzy for us, and maybe our values begin to to shift a little bit, if not change altogether. And so today is simply this. I, I want to give you the reason why that happens to you and to me. The reason why on Sundays, and this is not a shot at anybody, this is not guilt and shame, this is just transparency, let's put our cards on the table. Why? It's it's normal for us to come in and gather together in a worship service to proclaim truth from a stage, to 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 commit to truth in groups, to confess truth one to another, and yet leave here and feel this tension to live a different way. We are not trying to be two-faced. That is not our goal. Our, our aim is not to get out of our car and say, I'm going to put on this mask so they don't know I'm really a bad person. We get out of our cars and say, God, please use me, this broken sinner that I am. And we mean that. And we come into this room and we come into this place and we come into our sacred spaces and and we feel God's presence in our life and we can easily say, God, yes and amen. You want me to be broken over my sin? Yes and amen. You want me to live for your glory? Yes and amen. But why does that power seem to shift once we leave or, or once we get caught up in other things? That's where the text is today, and, and if you were paying attention for our readers just a moment ago, you notice this text is pretty attention-grabbing, particularly maybe for our youngest of ears in the room. I am going to explain this, parents. Don't worry. Are you ready? Let's go. Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25. As you are turning there, just quick, quick background of where we are in this text. We're in the middle of Luke's gospel account. Jesus has just taught on the narrow door or the narrow way, and he healed a man on the Sabbath that has dropsy. That's what the ESV translated as it would be edema. Uh, it, it would be this idea that he is beginning to, this man is beginning to swell. His, his heart is failing. His livers, uh, his, his organs are failing. He's soon to die, a, a very slow and painful death. Jesus has mercy on him, heals him on the Sabbath day. The Pharisees that are around Jesus take great exception to this. They're angry at Jesus. So Jesus leaves there and he's heading towards Jerusalem. And a whole bunch of people start following him. Here here are the people who were in the group, okay? There are people who love Jesus, his disciples, there are people who love Jesus, like, like they're devoted to him. They, they're, they're not just there to see the show. They're there because they love the man, and they're going to follow him wherever he goes. So he's on his way to Jerusalem. They're on their way to Jerusalem. There's people in the crowds that do not like him. They hate him. That would be the Pharisees. That would be part of the Sadducees. That would be part of those who have no faith at all, and they're, they're just trying to sort out what can we see? What will he say? How can we hear him make a mistake so we can now bring him or kill him? But then there's others who are just, they don't know where they stand. They know what they've seen, but they can't make sense of it. There was a man just yesterday who was sick, and now he's not sick. There was a guy who couldn't walk, but now he can walk blind, but now he can see. And they're just trying to make sense of what they're seeing in front of them, so they're following Jesus along the way. Verse 25 of Luke 14 says this. Now great crowds accompanied him. That's those crowds. And he turned and he said to them. So imagine, it's now turned into a sermon, a teaching moment. Here's what Jesus says when he has all of the attention of the crowd. Verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life cannot be my disciple. All right, so listen to me. I've done a lot of seminary classes. I've done done four years of undergrad in psychology. I did four years of of, of master's of divinity, three years of psychology and counseling after that. And and never once, never once is this the way that you're supposed to grow a church. Matter of fact, they, they would even say, be seeker friendly, have coffee in your lobby, have smiling faces. We're doing those things. Jesus had a different route. He's got the crowds following him and he turns around and says, do you really want to follow me? Because if you you want to come after me, if you want to come and be a part of of me and the group that's following me, you must hate your own father and mother, wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life or you cannot be be my disciple. Now, I want to be crystal clear. Jesus is using something called hyperbole here. All right, in no way, in no way is this a command for you to leave here today and say, Mom, I got something to tell you. Pastor Josh, he hooked us up with the information. Little kids in the audience, Mary Joy, if you're listening. Don't you, I don't want to catch some hands this afternoon and say, that's what you said, Dad. This is hyperbole, but I want you to feel the weight of what Jesus is saying if you want to follow him, like truly follow him, not just to see the show, not just to catch him doing something maybe he should or shouldn't be doing, if you want to be a part of what he is calling uh, those who are lost to, then the way in which you devote yourself to him will make everything else that you value in your life pale in comparison. And so I don't think it's strange that Jesus would use this type of comparison here. I know you may hear it and say, that's strong language, but to follow Christ is a strong commitment. It's this this idea that Jesus isn't saying that mom and dad are bad for us, or or husbands and wives, or or our children, or our grandchildren, They're, they're not bad for us. Our own life isn't bad for us. But what Jesus is saying is, your devotion to him should be so consuming. Everything else feels like it is at distant second. Again, he's not saying that you shouldn't love your mom and dad. Husbands, you should love your wives. Wives, you should love your husbands. Parents, you should love your children. Children, you should love your parents. But your love for Christ should be supreme over all things. and and, and hear me out. We're, we're going to explain this more in just a second that's not because he is some maniacal deity in heaven saying well if you won't love me at all I'm not going to love you back it is so much deeper and so much loving than that so so let's continue on Christ is above everything in our life you may say Josh that out of the gate first verse that sounds that sounds hard Sound, sounds very, very, very difficult. Look, look what he says. Christ is requiring love and devotion that supersedes anyone and anything else, more than family, more than marriage, more than self. Verse twenty-seven. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So Jesus gives us illustrations and wisdom about what this commitment in life takes. listen to what he says. Following Christ requires a clear understanding of two worlds. To follow Christ is to die to this world and live for the next one. That's what it's going to take and I'm going to explain to you why that's grace to you and not anger towards you. Self, who we are, It doesn't take the back seat in Christianity. It no longer exists in Christianity. Our identity is no longer us, but Christ. Our desires are no longer our own, but Christ. And so I want to be clear on this because I know sometimes we can get it confused. We have this idea that we are sick and Jesus comes to make us better. And I don't think that's necessarily a wrong understanding as much as, as an incomplete one because sick would have this idea of there's a little bit of health in me but I need a lot of bit of help. The way the gospel helps us understand our relationship to Jesus Christ is there is no health in us and we need all the help. Matter of fact, it's not sick to healthy, it's dead to alive. We are dead in our sin So so those things, the world, the way in which we live, it is killing us day by day, slowly and painfully. I don't think that the illustration of the man, and I believe it's very real, but used as an illustration, that as Jesus speaks about this, that's the type of man that he heals. He was dying slowly and painfully. And on the Sabbath day, he brings new life into him. Where he was leading to death, he now has nothing but life before him. And Jesus uses that as the backdrop to tell this account. So, so we say and we believe that our lives are not our own. They, they belong to Jesus. Jesus, whatever you do, we do. Wherever you go, we go. Jesus, whatever you experience... We experience. Therefore, in coming to Christ, we would expect the world to treat us in the same way it treated him. That's why in this verse, in verse 27, Jesus speaks of the cross. The cross here is not a a symbol of power or identity. It is a symbol of shame and suffering and sacrifice for the sake of Christ. Now, we don't have all the time in the world to go through this, but, but I want to give us some, some understanding. This is, this is pre-Christ on the cross, although this isn't pre-crosses. The cross is, is a Roman torture device, mechanism. They, they, they dreamt this up to be one of the most shame-inducing and pain-inducing ways to die. Although Christ had not gone to the cross yet, he knew what was before him. So he says to his disciples, not only are you to, to love me and your love for me to be so, so en- engaging to him that it would feel like everything else is a distant second. That you yourself, you trade in life, death for life. But, but not, not only that, you, you have to be committed that as you walk in this new life, as you walk in this new way, that you are going to expect the shame of the cross. Now, no doubt in this room where we live, the cross has a totally different meaning today. It is not shame and guilt-inducing. More than likely, you have crosses in your house. If you are are a lot like the house that I grew up in, you have walls of crosses in your house. I wonder if pre-crucifixion people, if they were to see those walls, what they would what they would think. But we know, we know what we believe because of the cross, because our understanding of the cross is through the lens of what Christ has done on the cross. But the the call here is to understand that our love and devotion to Him is to supersede everything else, everyone else, including ourselves, and to understand with the days that we have left until we see Him face to face again, we will endure shame, suffering, and sacrifice. Listen to me, that's the expectation. Watch, watch many, if you go back and read the book, The Normal Christian Life, speaks to much of this. A lot of times we in the culture that we live in, we think that Christianity is about getting everything that you want exactly when you want it because you prayed in Jesus' name. That is a false gospel. That's a bad understanding of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. He is not a genie in a bottle to give you what you desire. He is a king to be worshipped. And so when we we come to these moments, we, we can wonder why we get to these places and we say, well, we value these things, yes and amen, and then we get out. It's because our love for Christ does not supersede everything else, and there's a tension at play. And again, this is not throwing blame at anybody in the room because I feel the same tension. Here's my question that I have for my own heart, and if the question applies, I would ask you to wrestle with it as well. Do we love Christ or do we love the church? And I'm not saying you can't be in love with the church, but the church... Serves under Christ. The church is not supreme. Religion cannot be supreme. Your background growing up, what your grandma passed down to you, cannot be supreme. Christ has to be supreme or nothing else will have power. And so as we we come to this text, look at verse 28. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation, he is not able to finish it. All who see him will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build, and he was not able to finish. So this is an illustration, and there's going to be an illustration that comes next about war and going to a king. Again, a lot of times we'll read this, and we will think it's some kind of negative attack. It's not. It's grace to us. Here's why. Because Jesus is explaining to us why it is in us to commit ourselves to something in a church service or in a Bible study or when we're listening to a certain song in our car on the way to school or work. But then when we get out into the real world, it all seems to fall apart. What happened? What happened to the desire? What happened to the feeling that was in my heart? Verse 31. For what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down and first deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other one is a ways off, send a delegation and asking for terms of peace. Do we, have we, are we considering our relationship with Jesus Christ? Or is it just an afterthought to some religious moment? And I only ask that because I ask that to myself. Do do we love him for him? Or do we just love him for the things that we think we're going to get from him? Do, do we do we have we dedicated our life to him? Because we think that if we've done that, if we've ticked all the boxes of religiosity, then in the end we're gonna gain all this stuff as if it were some cosmic transaction and not a love from the created to the creator. You see, one of those things has power and the other one doesn't. Verse 33. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. All right, that's, that's heavy, Josh. This is, this is heavy. To renounce everything. Now, should, to be clear, renounce doesn't mean give away. This, this isn't a, a call to poverty. This isn't a, a call to, to have nothing just for the sake of you became a Christian, therefore I don't need anything else. But to renounce is this idea of Importance. This, this idea of prominence in your life. So would you say all that you are and all that you have is less than who Christ is to you? The career you've made, the businesses you've built. Is Jesus more to you than those things? It's probably easier when to say yes to, even if you love your business. What about those little kids sitting next to you? Your kids. (laughs) Is Jesus more important to you than them? Husbands, your wife that's sitting next to you, is Christ more supreme than she? Wives with a husband sitting next to you, is Christ more supreme than he? When you look at your own life, and the ambitions and the dreams that you have. Is Christ more supreme than that? That's what it means to renounce. Jesus says, these are the words of Christ. If you do not renounce all that you have, you cannot be my disciple. All right. I want want you to hear me. We have a few moments left. Coming to Jesus sounds like this. Lord, Lord, I love you more than anything and anyone. I know coming to you will be costly in worldly things. This world has hated you and I expect them to treat me the same way they treated you. I believe that you are far better than anything that I have gathered so far and better than anything that this world has to offer me in the future. Everything that I have and all that I am, I joyfully give to you. Jesus, you are my king and my life is yours. Church, these are not magic words that unlock some sort of mystical future in eternity. These are words that are a humble response to the lordship of Jesus Christ. This is a different kind of living. This is a living that honors Christ and brings kingdom favor to everyone around us. But until we get to this moment of complete devotion to Christ and saying, God, whatever you've trusted to me, I am thankful for it. I love it, but it is all yours. My life, my family, my education, my business, my play, everything Christ belongs to you. Do with it what you see fit. That life is a life that honors God. But if you don't get there, If those things still reign supreme in your own life and you still come and you're a part of the religious crowd or the religious community, the ones that would be following Jesus in this day and the ones that would be gathering in churches around the world today, but if you've not surrendered the totality of your life to Christ, that life is exhausting because you find yourself doing a couple of things. You continually try harder to be better, and you never are. You try to cover up your sin and your shame so that others can't see it. And this is the worst, at least it is for me. You continually make promises to God that you know already you can't keep. It sounds something like this. God, I know I messed up last time, but if you just clean up the mess, I promise you, I'll never do it again. Just for the sake of koinonia. Do, do you know what that is? It's Christian fellowship. It's the, oh, you too? Has anyone ever done that? Where you've prayed and asked God, to, if, you, if he would forgive your sins, if he would clean up the mess, that you would never do that sin again? Just me? I'll, I'll give you a moment. I want us to see the room. All right, so, so just keep it Keep No, look, play my game. Look around. You're not alone. This is what the enemy wants us to do, to bargain with God. The bargaining game is over. Christ paid the debt. There's nothing to bargain. So we don't have to hide anymore. We don't have to put on masks anymore. We don't have to make promises to God that we know we can't keep. When we take the Lord's Supper, we took it last week. We said, this is his blood poured out for me. And this is the new covenant. What's the new covenant? The one that he wrote and finished. It only happens in complete and total surrender. Listen to what Jesus says about that life, that life that's not surrendered, that that life that is exhausting. It's religious, but it's exhausting. Verse 34 and 35. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears, let him hear. Here's the deal. When, when we see this understanding, and, and I know the words are hard, and it would say, look, if you don't, if you don't hate your f- father and mother, your, your, your sons and daughters, your, your, your own life, you don't take up your own cross and, and follow me, you can't be my disciple. This isn't an idea that Jesus is, is angry at you. A lot of times we'll get this idea. You can't follow me unless I own you. In our mind, this is what Jesus would say. If you have any fun apart from me, you're out. You better represent me well or else I'm going to get you. You better do everything I said the exact way I told you to do it or else I'm going to be mad at you. Oh, Church, this is not the call of the life of the Christ follower. See, before sin entered the world, Adam and Eve operated without the weight and the effect of sin. There was no guilt, no shame, no hiding, no selfishness, no pointless work, no misplaced identity, no blaming others. Before sin entered the world, there was the perfect love of God, no separation. The perfect love for one another, Adam to Eve, Eve to Adam, them to God and God to them. Perfect submission to God and to one another. Perfect relationship with God and one another. But sin did enter the world. And our hearts and minds have been corrupted ever since. Everything on this side of eternity has been marred and broken. So so listen, don't, don't miss this very next line. So Jesus came from the other side of eternity to collect his lost and scared sheep. So everything on this side of eternity is absolutely marred and broken by sin. So Jesus comes from the other side of eternity as the good shepherd to gather all of his flock who are scared and hurting. Jesus is calling them away from the things that are harmful to them away from the things that are too heavy for them to to carry, away from the things that continue to separate them from God who created them to love Him. Church, that is the invitation. Jesus invites us to something better, something more, something that is eternal. John chapter 3, verse 17 and 18 say this. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. What does that mean quickly, this? We are living on this side of eternity in a world that is constantly weighing us down. It is destroying us, much like the man with dropsy, with edema. It is not killing you immediately, but it is killing you slowly and painfully. And there's no hope for you. You can't fix yourself. There's no way to make it better. You can try anything, you can try everything, but death is coming for you. And in this sense, this, this spiritual death where you can't fix you, can't try harder, can't be better, those things won't work because everything even the things that are in theory supposed to help us on this side of eternity are marred by sin but god so loved the world that he sent his only son from the other side of eternity to this broken one that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life you see he didn't come to condemn the world he came to save it So when you hear these words, and they sound harsh to you, I don't want you to feel condemnation because you're saying, well, these are too hard for me. I want you to hear words of grace saying, let the snake go. It's going to bite you. Put the gun down. It's going to kill you. Because we too easily run to the things that we think are helping, but they're nothing but hurting. So Jesus has come from the other side of eternity into our world to call us back to himself. Luke 19 verse 10 says this. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That's what he's doing. As our worship team comes back up for our invitation time, there's one last verse I want to give to you. One, one last passage. I want you to write it down unless you're just really good at Bible drills and getting there. Matthew 11 verse 28, 29, and 30 say this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I know if if you have not done much study here or you don't come from a farm, you probably don't know what this verse is, is meaning. And in your mind, you were thinking some kind of egg yolk. That is not at all what Jesus is speaking of. A yolk is this thing that they would put on the necks of animals, big, strong animals like a, a cow or an oxen. So they would take the ox and they would put the yoke around their necks and then they would tie the ropes to it and it would attach itself to the plow or, or, or to the cart or to the buggy or whatever it would be and it would be that thing that they would put on there but, but if, if whatever they were pulling were so heavy because they were by themselves and they couldn't do it then the ox would just lay down. No good. There's no good to the family and it is worthless. Jesus speaks of something called a double yoke. And it's this idea that if you had two animals pulling, that it would be something that would go over one neck and also the other neck, yet it was the same piece. And the idea was this, that you would take a a younger and a much weaker ox and put it with the much older and stronger ox, and you would put them together in this yoke and they would pull together and the strength of the two would be combined in a way that all of the thing that would crush the, young, the, uh, the younger, weaker one would now allow them to efficiently do the job that they've been called to do. So when Jesus speaks to, hey, let it go. The thing that you think you love the most in this life, no matter how noble you think it to be, If it's anything short of Christ, it is going to crush you. Because at the end of the day, look, hear me out. I love my wife, and I know she loves me. I love my kids, and I know they love me. I really like me. But she makes a terrible God. My kids make terrible gods. I make terrible, God. And so when Jesus says to them, hey, they can't be supreme in your life, no matter how much altruistically you love them and have feelings for them, but if they are supreme, then listen to me, they are playing the God role in your life. They're going to fail you, and you're gonna fail them. Jesus said, all you who are tired who are weary from that, that you keep trying harder to do better, but you can't. You keep trying to hide so nobody else would see you. And it's so exhausting because you can't hide from everyone at all times. Come, come to Jesus and find rest. For his yoke, you still do work, but it's easy why? Because you're connected to him there's nothing that he would ever call you to that he's not with you in which brings us back to our our values we submit to God's word not because it's a Bible study checklist that makes us feel better about our religion but because we know that this is the only way for us to know God and we want to know God We pursue reconciliation, not because that's what good Christians are supposed to do, but because we know we've tasted and seen the Lord's reconciliation in our life, and we desire for others to experience that same thing. We've committed ourselves to equipping disciples. Again, not because we hope that our works are one day going to give us some reward in heaven, but because we know our Jesus is worthy of more disciples. We run to the hurting for no other reason, for no other reason than our Jesus ran to us. We have been given the gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord, and now we are equipped with it, and we are surrounded by a lost and dying world who are hurting, and so we will run to them to meet physical needs and to share spiritual needs. We will cultivate healthy relationships. For we understand that it's easy for us to be misguided. To be healthy is to be focused on Christ. And that is our foremost desire here at Broadmoor, that Christ would be supreme. And then finally, we live generously because we understand that everything that we have has been given to us, has been trusted to us by God for his glory and the good of those that are around us. some the lord gives a lot of earthly treasure to some he chooses not to it should not be those who have much to look down on those who have little and say you should get it together it shouldn't be for those who have little to look at those at top and say you should be less stingy we're not talking about wealth exchange here We're talking about a heart understanding that whatever it takes to advance the gospel from here to the ends of the earth, that's what we're going to do. We all have a gift. We all have purpose. The question is, are we going to follow him? As we move into this invitation time, one last thing, and it's really important that I want to remind you in our very individualized world that we live in. We talked a little bit about this last week. We can think that the mission is about us, that the call is about us, that that Jesus is calling us to complete the task as if we were the only ones that could do it. And if we mess up, then then the whole thing is gonna be called off because we've ruined it. That's a big weight to carry. But I want to remind you, and I wanna remind you weekly the mission that we are called to is not your mission or my mission it's not even our mission it's Christ's mission and we already know the outcome of there's victory already one day when we are least expecting it the clouds will be torn apart and Christ will return but he will not come in battle robes he will come in victory robes and all of heaven will be coming down with him and we will sing his praises his mission will be complete so my ask is simply this will you join him in his mission for the glory of God and the good of our communities I'm not asking you to try harder or be better I'm asking you to hide your sins I'm not asking you to be more religious. What I am asking you to do is to see Christ as supreme and for you to give your life to him and say, Lord, here I am. Use me. Send me for your glory and our good. That's the invitation today. The altar will be open. If you need to come and pray through that, please come. If you would like us to pray with you, we'd love to do that. No doubt we all have a decision to make today. Are we in or not? And we pray for us as we decide. Father, we love you and we thank you for today. We thank you for the truth of your word and the encouragement that it brings. Lord, when we hear our Savior, speak to us, let him go. Let those things go. Don't, Don't hold them as supreme. A lot of times we can feel some kind of way because we like them. But Lord, you are calling us to let go of supremacy and to trust it all to you. You were were calling us to let go of the things that we have mistakenly placed in your seat. And so Lord, I pray now that you would give us the ability to rightly see and rightly respond. Oh, Jesus, we love you. We love you more than anything else and everything else. And it's in your powerful name that we pray and we now stand and respond. Church, would you stand with me?